Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series, Reasons to Believe. So turning your Bibles to John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15, and Dr. Newfeld's going to speak to us about, do you want to be healed? Titled my message today, Do You Want to Be Healed? Well, that might seem like a very odd title because, frankly, it seems to ask the question is itself an insult. Imagine asking that of a blind person as if they would prefer their blindness over the gift of sight. Who would turn the gift of sight down? To that I respond, Who would turn down the gift of salvation? Aha! But I can almost hear that response. Look, the reason why someone might turn down the gospel is because they don't believe it. Perhaps, but I wonder, how many of us have really understood John chapter 3, verse 19? And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Darkness is here equated to life without God. People actually love the darkness without God. They they find God an unwelcome intrusion into their lives. The intrusion of God into their lives would destroy so much that they really love. And hence, they don't want to talk about forgiveness or eternal life, the new birth, living water, or what have you. See, all of this only means that the things that they have come to love would be taken away. So in answer to the question, do you want to be saved? Well, the answer is no. Now, the same can be true of any physical disability. I am, as are many of us, constantly amazed at how many people with a special need exhibit courage and great persistence in overcoming limitations in order to accomplish great things. I mean, people who do that, they enrich us all. But I also know that there are some people who relish their handicaps. Does that sound impossible to you? Well, consider the advantage of that one person in the wheelchair who has others waiting on him and serving him. Does what I'm saying sound cruel? Well, I don't think it is. For there are some, if they were given the chance to walk, would turn it down flat. Are you surprised? One person might say, but with all that I've suffered, I deserve to be served by others. And if that were taken away, I would never be served again. And that would be unfair. I deserve to be a victim. The interesting thing about human psychology is that many among us love to play the victim. Being a victim is not a bad thing for some. It's their unique identity, and if that were taken away, they would be enraged. For someone like that, the question, do you want to be healed, is answered with a resounding no. You know, we've been studying John chapters 2 to 5, and in this section, we've encountered a unique group of individuals. John the Baptist, the man who revels in becoming less significant as Jesus is becoming more significant. Nicodemus, the Jewish Pharisee, who's never understood his own scriptures and the teaching of the new birth. The woman at the well, a needy and deeply troubled woman, is offered water from the well that will eternally quench her deep spiritual thirst. And then, in the end of John chapter 4, we encounter a royal official who's crushed and broken, for death has broken into his family. Suddenly, his high position and wealth mean nothing, for he finds he's as weak and as vulnerable as anyone else. But now we come to John chapter 5, and we will encounter a man who is perhaps the most complicated person that we've met so far. He's an invalid, and as simple as his needs are, his life and his desires become quite difficult to understand. 
So let's read of him. John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which is five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going down, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, the man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now, in this passage, I see the unfolding of a drama in three scenes. In scene one, we will witness him in a dialogue with Jesus where we will hear Christ's question, do you want to be healed? Now, in scene two, we will see him in a dialogue with the Jewish religious leaders. And then finally, in scene three, we will see him again with Jesus in which he is called upon to confront that one thing in his life that's dearest to him, his own sin. So here we will see a man who would clearly give up his healing in order to hold on to that thing that he loves the most, his sin. And through it all, we're going to ask the question that matters to us. Do you, you or I, want something more than the healing that Christ has to offer? So let's turn to scene one. John begins in recounting this story by telling us that Jesus had gone back to Jerusalem, he says, for a feast of the Jews. And that's an interesting phrase, this a feast of the Jews. I say it's interesting because this is the only place in John's gospel where he doesn't specify which feast he's referring to. You know, in John 2, verse 23, he mentions the feast of Passover. And then in chapter 6, verse 4, he mentions Passover again. And then in chapter 7, verse 2, he mentions the Feast of Tabernacles. And then in chapter 10, verse 22, it's a, the Feast of Dedication. And then finally, in John 11, verse 55, we're back at the Feast of Passover. And I mention all of that because usually, as you can see, John's very specific when mentioning a feast. He tells us which feast he's referring to. And yet here, in the only place in the book, he simply says, there was a feast of the Jews. Now, why here alone is he so general? It's just not his pattern. He's so painstakingly accurate in telling us exactly what's happened. Although we can't be sure, I think the reason for this is that John is signaling us that this event happens out of sequence with the rest of the book. You see, up till now, the book has been following a chronological order, but this event is out of its normal chronology. And if that's right, why does John, who writes the book, choose to tell us an event that's out of its normal sequence? Well, I think the answer to that is that John thinks that this account, in some fashion, needs to be considered right now as we're reading. That is, when we read through this book, as we're thinking about the characters, John the Baptist, Nicodemus, the woman at the well, the royal official, 
Now, this account, the one of the paralyzed man, this account is an effective summation, helps us to understand all of the characters so far. The question of, do you want to be healed, is the question that each one of us has to address. And if that's so, this story highlights what's at stake with each encounter. Let's look at it in detail. So, scene one. Jesus encounters this man. So, the text says that beside the sheep gate in old Jerusalem, there was a pool called Bethesda. Now, if you're paying close attention, you're going to notice that in the text that I've read, verse 4 is missing. Now, verse 4, which you would find if you're using the King James Version, tells us that the man was waiting for the waters of the pool to be moved, for an angel would go into the water and stir up the water so that the first person in the pool would be healed. Now, the reason that the text isn't a part of modern translation is because the oldest manuscripts that we have don't actually include verse 4. And there are any number of reasons for that. I mean, one very possible explanation is that the idea of an angel stirring up the waters might have been a part of the teaching notes that someone placed next to the manuscript. And then, when another person copied that manuscript later, they didn't understand why it was there, and they simply drafted the notes into the text. But however it came to be, the best evidence that we have is that the line about the angel stirring up the waters simply wasn't a part of the original text, that is, as John wrote it. And since we believe that only John's original writing is inspired, and since it seems very likely now that verse 4 was added later, not by John, it's right to simply leave that line out. So it may have been that the pool was linked to a mineral spring that would sometimes cause an agitation in water, and that the people came to believe that when that happened, healing was available. But at any rate, this man was waiting beside the pool and he believed it. And he never made it into the pool because, as he will explain to Jesus later, someone always beats me in. He's, he's got no friends to take care of him. And yet he desperately wants to be healed. And that's why when Jesus asks him if he wants to be healed, the answer is so straightforward. Of course he wants to be healed. Or does he? Laugh Again with Phil Calloway will be celebrating its fifth anniversary in 2019. One way we'll be doing that is by inviting you to join us for the Laugh Again 5th Anniversary Caribbean Cruise aboard the Royal Caribbean's Oasis of the Seas. From February 3rd to 10th, join us for a week of laughter, fellowship, and spiritual refreshment. Enjoy music and worship with our special musical guests and morning devotions with Isaac Dagno, leader of InDoubt Ministries. Is it time for a family vacation, a getaway with friends, or time to simply kick back and enjoy all the sights and sounds of the Caribbean? Well, join Phil Calloway and friends this coming February 3rd to 10th for a vacation of a lifetime. For more information, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or check out laughagain.ca. Laugh Again, truth bringing laughter to life. Now, if the man who was an invalid and was healed by Jesus, if that were a, a straightforward story, uh, we might think that we're coming to the conclusion now. 
Jesus heals him, the man believes, and then salvation comes to this man. But it so turns out, the matter, as we have said, is so much more complicated than we could have imagined. And behind all of that are Jesus' haunting words, not just to him, but to us. Do you want to be healed? So John tells us that around the pool of Bethesda were a multitude of invalids, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And the word for paralyzed in the Greek, it's deseros. It can literally be translated as the dry or even the shriveled. That's because in the ancient world, they noticed that paralyzed people, their muscles would atrophy and they would be shriveled people. They would be like a dry branch that's cut off. And in this way, we, we find a man who's been in this state for 38 years. And that's not to say that he's been by that pool that long. It's just that he's been paralyzed that long. And what's fascinating about this account is how different this healing is than almost every other healing we find in the Gospels. See, in almost every other case, people came to Jesus to be healed. And as far as I know, this is the only one in which Jesus actually approaches someone and offers to heal that person. Now, please, don't read too much into what I've said. Remember, the man has no idea who Jesus is, so he hardly is in the place to ask for healing. But nonetheless, it's Jesus who approaches him with the question, do you want to be healed? And the man's answer is instant. Yes, of course I do. I've been trying to get into this pool every time the water is stirred and, and because of my condition and because I'm alone. Someone always beats me into the water when it's stirred up. And then Jesus does the Jesus thing, you know, get up, take up your bed in which you're lying and walk. And you can imagine that this dry, shriveled man immediately felt his muscles and nerves growing. And in an act that can only be described as explosive and astonishing, he pops up and just grabs his mat and walks right out the door. Scene one ends, but the drama is only warming up. Now to scene two. John, in his gospel, refers to an encounter this man has with the Jews. So we've already noticed that in the book of John, almost everywhere, that John mentions the Jews. He's referring not to the Jewish people, but he's specifically talking about the Jewish religious leaders, most notably the Pharisees. And, and here's the rub. The Pharisees, as most of us know, were really big on making sure that Israel kept the Sabbath. And even though the Old Testament was clear on this, still, the Pharisees were not content with what the Old Testament scriptures taught. If the law of God said that no work was to be done on the Sabbath, the Pharisees thought it was important to specify what was actually meant by work. And so in order to make the matter plain, the Pharisees categorized what it meant to work by establishing 39 classes or categories of work. And one of those 39 categories included taking or carrying anything from one location to another. And the only exception to that was if, if you could establish that you were carrying whatever it was that you were carrying for compassionate reasons. Now, since the miracle had been done on the Sabbath, and since the man is now carrying his mat, he is technically, that is, according to the Pharisees at least, working, violating God's law. And there he is in plain sight, carrying his mat on the Sabbath. Now, here's an important aside. This man was definitely not breaking the Old Testament law. I mean, for one, he's not carrying mats around for a living. That is, carrying mats was not his job. That's not how he earns his money. So this is definitely not working. Ah, but the Pharisees didn't care. 
This violated one of their 39 principles. And so, always being ready to correct someone, they see him doing this and they pounce. And at this point, we have to assume the man panics. And unlike a blind man whom Jesus heals in John chapter 9, who basically tells the Pharisees to go jump in a lake, this guy, this, this man healed after 38 years of paralysis, well, he kind of metaphorically shrivels up all over again. He tells the Pharisees that a man came by and healed him, and that man had ordered him to carry his mat. You see, he says, it's not my fault. He ordered me. And they ask him, who gave you that order? And he honestly doesn't know. He's never seen Jesus before. And that's the end of scene two. And with scene three, we come to the climax of the matter. You're going to remember that this man was not looking for Jesus in scene one. Jesus looked for him, and he offers him healing, a healing he said he wanted. Now, in scene three, we find Jesus looking for him again. And when Jesus picks him out in a crowd, he comes right over to him and he says something, at the very least, is as startling as the words, do you want to be healed? He says, look at you, you're well. And then, with a great deal of seriousness, he says, you had better stop sinning, that nothing worse than 38 years of paralysis will happen to you. Well, that's stunning. Now, in a way, you might contrast scene one with scene three in this fashion. In scene one, Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And in scene three, he says, do you want to stop sinning? Now, of course, it really isn't that benign, is it? In fact, instead of saying, do you want to stop sinning? He says, you'd better stop sinning. This time, it's a command. It's not a request. Now, when we read the account, we might immediately think, well, what's he been up to? But in truth, the text never tells us. Unlike the woman at the well, Jesus doesn't tell him of his sexual misadventures. He's not tender towards him at all, as he has been to others. He's demanding, he's authoritarian, he's severe. But I think we've come to the conclusion that just as Jesus knows how the woman at the well had been sinning, he also knows full well how this crippled man has been sinning. And I think as I read this, we must be sure that we don't reach the wrong conclusion. You know, Jesus is not telling this man that all physical illnesses are the result of sin. Again, in John chapter 9, with a man who is born blind, Jesus makes it very clear that the explanation of that event has to do with the glory of God, not with the man's sin. And so Jesus did not tell this man here that he had been paralyzed for 38 years because he was sinning. I mean, after all, Nicodemus and the woman at the well, they'd been sinning and, and they weren't sick. No, that's not how it works. But Jesus does tell this man that if he doesn't repent, something far worse than 38 years of paralysis is awaiting you. I mean, clearly Jesus is referring not to another illness, but to the great judgment of God at the end of time. Jesus is telling this man that 38 years of paralysis is nothing next to the judgment of God. I mean, paralysis, if you will, it's a foretaste of, of the great judgment to come. Whatever you do, says Jesus, you want to escape that thing. It's worse than being an invalid for 38 years. Now, we have to say it again. As to what sin is Jesus referring to, we simply don't know, but we can rest assured that Jesus knows. And we must also assume that this man was also quite clear on what Jesus was referring to. Notice he doesn't protest. He doesn't say, which sin? It's as if he knows between the two of them, Jesus and this man, there is an unspoken understanding. Both of them understand the sin. And according to our text, the man simply went on his way. 
He had no intention whatsoever of repenting of his sin. Indeed, he's so incensed that he goes and finds the Pharisees and he tells them it was Jesus who healed them. And therefore, it was also Jesus who had enticed him to break the Sabbath. Go get them, boys. And with that, we come back again to our principal question. Do you want to be healed? I think this man would say, sure, I'm going to be healed, provided it's on my terms. If healing means I have to give up the darkness, the sin in my life, then no thanks. I prefer sin and paralysis. I prefer sin regardless of the consequences. And if I've been right about why John tells us this true account of Jesus, we should be able to get it now. Nicodemus the woman at the well, the royal official, and now the paralytic, all needed to ask if they wanted to be healed. If they want to be healed, and it means a break with sin, do you still want to be healed? And I hope you understand that as we're reading this account, John wants us to ask ourselves the very same question. If it means that you must give up your sin, and your own ways and your own self-willed efforts, and you must throw your life into the hands of Jesus and give up all that you ever had, would you still want to be healed? Would you still want to be saved? Would you still want to have reconciliation with God? Would you still want heaven? That's the question that we need to ask. Oh, I pray that you might say, no matter what the cost, Lord Jesus, let me be healed. John, as you were teaching today, I was thinking, you know, is it possible that people really don't want answers to prayer or they really perhaps don't want healing? Yeah, Ben, I think that's what I'm taking from this. Um, As I was thinking about this, I think that, that all of God's gifts that come to us come with strings attached because God wants ultimately to heal our hearts so that we receive a new heart that loves him. So, you know, God's gift comes with strings attached. And sometimes we get so caught up with the strings that are attached, we say no thanks to the gift itself. And uh, I think that's what happened in this case, and I think it still happens all of the time. May God grant to us a heart that says, I'll be so thankful with all of your gifts and with the strings attached because the strings themselves are your loving and gracious gift to me as well. Thanks, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Your regular gifts as part of our Partner to Tell Monthly Partners have become the very backbone to sustain the Bible teaching programs of this ministry. Programs that reach out to every demographic using every medium possible, teaching the truth of the Bible, and it speaks into every question and concern of life. Partner to Tell Monthly Partners are critical to the ongoing ministry of Back to the Bible Canada's daily Bible teaching program with Dr. John Newfeld. They support the ongoing ministry to young adults through In Doubt. They help provide messages of hope and joy shared daily that point to Jesus through Laugh Again. And now our new television program, Truth in Life Today, which reaches potentially millions of households offering biblical truth that engages culture. 
Thanks for what you're doing. And if you're interested in joining the ranks of the Partner to Tell Monthly Partners, do so today. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.